All right, coming to you live from Los Angeles and Claremont, respectively. My name's Owen, and I'm joined by my good friend Willie. Willie, what's happening? Oh, I, you know, I'm living life, living life, buddy. How about you? Um, I'm good, man. And the fact that we get to sit down and do this regularly really makes my week. Um, gives me something to look forward to on a Thursday night. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Stitch Fix before we get started. Um, this isn't a paid advertisement, although if you know if there are companies that would like to sponsor this show. Please feel free to hop in those DMs or get in touch because for you know, sure that'd be great. <laughs> um, but anyways, I got my first, um, I guess, fix you call it from Stitch Fix today, and they do a really good job of fitting you up with the right kind of threads for what you want uh, based on all the questions from your stylists, and it's a really cool little way to up your wardrobe game. Like I definitely need to. Um, <laughs> so big shout out to Stitch Fix for for hooking me up, and um, hopefully we rocking some of the new threads in the not too distant future now um that out of the way i hope you all had a very great fourth of july hope you got to celebrate Absolutely. the holiday spend time with your family and really think about what makes this country great to begin with which is mm -hmm. basically i'm not going to sugarcoat it it's immigrants like my mother um that's right coming here with a single vision of creating mm -hmm. a better life for themselves. Not that life for my mother in particular was horrible, but it was just it, this this promise of a quote-unquote American dream really brought her and so many others here. And, and that's that's what makes this country great, contrary to what others might tell you. Um, and I, I guess I'm the byproduct of that, so that's where that's where that's coming from. Anyways, uh, we're here to talk about some, some sports and rip off some hot takes, specifically as they pertain to the World Cup. Uh, today's episode, we're also going to be talking about the NBA, or what is left of the NBA now that DeMarcus Cousins has decided to join the Warriors, and uh, give you a little sneak peek into the second half of the baseball season of Major League Baseball. Uh, it's been just about halfway at this point, and we have a good idea of who the, the top dogs are going to be, the front runners for those postseason spots, and also some surprise contenders. So that'll be a little later on in the show. But Willie, any thoughts before we jump right into this World Cup uh, quarterfinal preview? for the holiday or just anything in general? Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is just a great time. Uh, like you said, 4th of July always signifies the the middle of the summer, you know what I mean? And just that, that free spirit, you know? So like you said, they get the chance to do this podcast and just to celebrate 4th of July, you know? Let everybody relax in the day-to-day -day stresses of, you know, life. And in some ways, sports can always be an escape from, you know, the day-to-day -day rigors that we have in our life. Yeah, I hear you. And that said, let's get into the first quarterfinal matchups of the World Cup. Oh man, I, I, again, we did this last week, uh, kind of previewing the knockouts, and it felt like we had just started uh, the preview show. And, and at this point now, we're in the, the real business end of the competition. This is the equivalent of the Elite Eight. This is the quarterfinals. I mean, we're, we're almost there. Uh, and tomorrow we've got a couple really big ones. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they're all big matchups, of course, but tomorrow the real big ones for me, anyways, with Uruguay France in the more in the uh, in the early game and Brazil Belgium in the later game. Um, for me personally, I'm looking at this Uruguay France game, thinking this could legitimately go either way. And I'm not just saying that because that's that's what happens in this sport. That's how dumb, you know, as dumb as that might sound. This could go <laughs> either way, just based on the body of work of both teams and and what we've seen in this world cup uh, in the entire tournament exactly we've seen 
the big boys like Germany go out in the group stage, Spain and Portugal get knocked out in the round of 16, and surprise teams like Sweden and Croatia and even England to some extent, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the weight of expectation. And let's can't even forget the hosts knocking out Spain in the way that they did. That's, so which of the four matchups, Owen, are you most looking forward to in the quarterfinals? For me, it's definitely Uruguay-France. Um, you okay. look at the, the stacked team that France has. This is their golden generation. All of their young players have experience under their belt. You have a 19-year-old Kylian Mbappe, who's arguably the most exciting player at the World Cup so far. Uh, you have a team so, led at the front by Olivier Giroud and Antoine Griezmann, who have, who have been around the block before and know what they're doing and are going to pose a threat to the Uruguayan back four. So would Mbappe be a college freshman? Is that, is that what Mbappe be? would be something like a college freshman, maybe a sophomore. I don't know. The point is he's ridiculously young, and it makes me feel really old at this point, and I don't like it. So the less we talk about his age, and the more we talk about what he actually does in the pitch, uh, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> I mean, first, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's just incredible. That that performance he put on against Argentina has to be the single. Would you agree that was the best performance of the World Cup? I mean, By from an attacking, uh, I'd say it's up there with Cristiano Ronaldo against Spain. Um, albeit sure. he was he was gifted one goal by David de Gea. Uh, the free kick was just right. a work of art. Can't take that away from him. And the penalty was a little soft, but given what's been awarded at this World Cup, it, it was a penalty. So no no qualms for me there as, as opposed to, you know, if it or if it was not a penalty. So, but yeah, definitely Mbappe's just torching Argentina up and down the pitch for the whole 90 minutes was performance of the tournament so far. I mean, I'm very, yes, I that was incredible, but... You know, Uruguay presents a much different test, and, and that's the reason I'm extremely excited for this matchup. You know, as, as much as that performance, France really showed a lot coming from two to one down and, and scoring four goals. Uh, you know, Argentina was a mess defensively and played very open, and, and Uruguay probably has the best defense in this whole tournament. And they're gonna they're gonna sit back, and they're gonna they're gonna be very tough to break down. They're they're gonna keep Mbappe in front of them. Uh, against a set defense, and I'm very curious to see, you know, can France uh, break through that defense? Because this is going to be a much different matchup, kind of similar to what they faced against Denmark, a team that makes things ugly. So I'm very curious about this matchup. Yeah, and actually I'm looking at my bracket from last week's show uh, where I had Uruguay and France in this matchup. Uh, I had France winning this game. I don't know if I'm all that that uh, satisfied with my pick anymore. I think I may want to flip-flop here just because of Uruguay's defensive record in this tournament and how they've kind of formed this cohesive unit around their captain, Godin, and uh, Jimenez, the talented center back for Atletico Madrid. But just mm-hmm. the way they've defended as a team this tournament and really uh, relied on uh, Cavani and Suarez to, to carry the forward. Now, the, the big thing for Uruguay is that Cavani's probably going to—he's right. not going to be able to play, and that's a huge loss. Exactly, a, because a, with the way they play, you're going to need uh, a center forward to link up with Suarez, and when you don't have that, you lose an element of attack that could be toothless against the French defense. But at the same time, uh, I've said this to my friends, my my brother and his friends. I've said this, I think, to you as well. I haven't been all that convinced by France as much as. People have been talking about them as one of the best teams in the tournament so far and obviously winning their group and getting to where they are now, the game against Argentina. I think, uh, I'll put it this way, their game against Argentina, the result, the 4-3, uh, it, it, number one, the result uh, favor, it uh, it does more justice to, or it makes Argentina look better than it does France. 
just because I got that late goal in garbage time, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it was an evenly matched game Definitely all not. throughout. Obviously, with with uh, a couple lead changes early on, you kind of knew it was going to be close. But in the second half, France really separated themselves, and I think Argentina definitely shot themselves in the foot with the way they set up this tournament, the way they kind of got the players ready to go out on the world stage. And I think it's it's a testament to France for being able to advance, but at the same time, Argentina was just in shambles. So for for them to for Argentina to win that game would have been a national disaster for France. I mean, that's how bad Argentina were in this tournament. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, like you said, they. Uh, it, we still don't really know what France is made of because this is going to be an elite team uh, that they're facing. Uh, but what, what I was most impressed about uh, with France is they're just starting to get going collectively more and more. Uh, I thought Pogba played his best game of the tournament. Um, I thought Conte was very solid in the midfield. Um, I mean, Argentina did score three goals, but the first two were kind of, I mean, wonder goals. Um, and so um, if they can play better... You know, because like we said, we talk about the center back pairing of Uruguay is really solid. Um, Giroud's not going to be able to hold the ball up like he did against uh, Argentina, and I think that a key in this game is going to be in the mid is going to be in the midfield. Uh, certainly, they're going to keen in on Mbappe. They're not going to want him to do the same thing they did, uh, and the same thing on the other side. So uh, this is the game. Maybe we're going to see a complete performance from France. Yeah, and that's something that we've really been craving from France. I mean, we haven't seen a complete team performance from them since, I'd say, the semifinals of the Euros when they beat Germany. And to me, it's... I don't want to be too, too critical of any one team just because, you know, I, I for one, couldn't do better either as a player or as a coach. But at the same time, you know that France can do so much better with the players they have and the amount of time they've been together. I mean, you've, you've had a lot of continuity in this team. Giroud's been around forever. Uh, Griezmann and uh, Pogba have both been in the team for a while. Conte, uh, somewhat of a newcomer, but Pogba's been around for a while. Varane and Umtiti have been around forever. Lloris as the captain, he's been around forever. So there's a lot of there's a lot more continuity with France than maybe with other teams. But it just seems like we haven't had that that singular signature French performance where they dominate the ball in midfield. They're getting the ball out wide. They're crossing it into Giroud. They're holding up play with Giroud on the counterattack. And they're using every tool in their arsenal to to win. And, and Arsenal pun in there for, for <laughs> former Arsenal man. But I, I, I don't know. I just haven't been all that convinced by France. And it's up to them to prove me wrong because that's, you know, that's my job. Not real – my job as a fan is to talk a bunch of shit about the sports and then hope that they prove me wrong. And if they prove me wrong, then great. If they don't, then whatever. Uh, but the point is, I, I haven't seen a complete French performance. And this would be the time to show up and show the rest of the teams in this tournament that they are not here to they are not here to just be part of the tournament. They are here to win it. And the best thing for them would be to put three or four goals past Uruguay. And I mean, the thing is that, and that's why it's going to be so interesting. Like you said, uh, I haven't been. They've been very underwhelming at times, and you know, you can draw parallels parallels to the game against Denmark, where you know Denmark played very structured behind the ball, and France didn't really create any chances. And Uruguay is not going to give them many chances. No. You watch them against Portugal; their defensive shape is just so good. You know, Nandes and Jimenez, and and Bencicor and Nandes. They just they just work together so well. 
And then they know, obviously, up top, Suarez and Cavani knew how to find each other. But, um, yeah, this is the time for France. And But you said, you know, talk about continuity. I mean, how long has Tabera been there now? I think this is his fifth world, fourth World Cup. Inc- it, as the it's coach, crazy. As, as coach of Uruguay. And, and honestly, you talk about the golden generation. This is, this is, the, golden, this is the time for Uruguay. This yeah, is the big no, deal. I agree. Th- this is it for them. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of their players are. They have some younger players. Um, you know, Bentacor is a really good player for events, but uh, like this is their best chance to make a mark because you don't know if any of these guys are going to be around in four years. Yeah. So the only caution I throw with the Uruguay is we we never really talked about them in the same light as we did like a France or a Germany or a Spain. Uh, as as far as being you know the big or Brazil or Argentina as being you know one of the big boys, but they're definitely sneaky good. I think a lot of people slept on Uruguay this tournament, and certainly they I, I was one who kind of slept on them as well. And to this point, they've conceded one goal through four games, and they've looked very solid uh, against a Portugal side that you know it has to be said that there is a lot of quality in that team outside of Cristiano Ronaldo, but he still is kind of the the man that makes it all happen for them, um, and. You know, it's it's not so much it was a surprise to see Uruguay win. It was more just the way that they were able to enforce their will on on Portugal. And I, I got to say, the crossfield pass from Suarez to Cavani to set up their opener. Oh, it was incredible. It's just a thing of beauty. And then Suarez returning the favor, finding Cavani at the back post. I mean, that's, that's something they're going to have to work around when they play France. Uh, I think they'll be able to do it. And I'm not that certain with my pick now. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, like we said earlier on, I wouldn't be surprised to see this this result go either way, be it a lopsided result for Uruguay, lopsided for France, or a close one that goes to penalties, late goal in extra time, what have you. Uh, this could go either way, and I'm really excited about it. The only problem is it's at 7 a.m. tomorrow. That's roughly when I get up for work, but you know, missing that on, on the commute is going to be a pain. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean... How I gotta say though, I mean, now that now that they're out, we we should mention it real quickly. Touch for me on on how you, out of ten, how would you grade the performances of of Messi and Ronaldo this tournament? I think everyone was looking forward to a potential for them in the quarterfinals. Yeah, to play each other. I don't know if the internet would have been able to handle that. Uh, for me, Messi, I'm gonna be a little harsh with Messi just because uh, I still think he's a better a better uh, all around. Uh, player than Ronaldo for for what they bring to their team. Um, I'm going to say three out of ten for Messi. I'm going to say six out of ten for Ronaldo. Okay. Uh, yeah. Ronaldo was good in the Portugal against uh, for against Spain, uh, but you still feel like he could have done a little better. Um, and certainly, he expects more of himself. Uh, but then again, you know, it, it's hard to fault a player who who did score a hat trick in the first game against the the world champions from from 2010 mm-hmm. at the same time Messi, you could tell he was trying to get his team going but only in a way that kind of he knows how with this kind of intricate passing one two you know one ball here one there one here one there trying to get his teammates involved and they just weren't having any of it and oh. part of that is down to argentina the way they set up for their team part of it i think is down to Messi as well oh and how do you how do you set up your team in a 4-3-3 formation with the front three being Pavone on the right, Di Maria on the left, and Messi in the in the middle. First of all, the four four two works so well for them, in part because Messi played up top, uh, closer to goal with a in a two forward system. And then you don't have he he's not a center forward, and Aguero and Iguain were on the field, especially Aguero. I, I don't know how you don't start him there. Yeah. So I, I just am really I, I just am shocked. 
when I saw that, he just neutralized his effectiveness. He can't play center forward. It's just yeah. too small. And you saw like Ronaldo, he's just bigger and he's he's learned as he's aged. He can play more towards the goal. He can you know nick off crosses. He can get more shots around the box. But Messi, he just he he wasn't given a chance. Yeah, Messi to me is one of those players who you you can't play as an out and out center forward at least anymore. You have to play him as a false nine, if that. I mean, you'd almost have to play mm-hmm. him as a really really deep uh, number nine or even just a just a glorified number ten. I mean, that's that's where you have to have Messi because he's the one who's he's not going to be the one who's going to get on the end of crosses. I mean, he's he's five five. He, he's he's not going to score many headers in his career. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what you have uh, as a unit and I'm talking about Argentina and understanding the the talent they have in their wide players with Di Maria and Dybala the players the goal scorers with Aguero and when he decides to actually convert his chances Higuain uh, but just on the whole it was a very different uh, just a disappointing Argentina performance I don't think any player on that roster gets more than a four out of 10 in my book. And, and Messi, I don't want to say he is the problem, but I think they're over-reliant on someone to kind of do something when in reality they have this, what I would call an identity crisis where everyone wants to play this attacking football. They want to be on the exactly. front foot. But you can't do that when you have defensive issues and, and midfield and a midfield issue. And your back two is Marcos Rojo and <laughs> Nicolas Otamendi. Ot- Angry I'm, I'm sorry. Odomendi is the most overrated center for, center back probably in certainly in club football in Europe. Um, wow, but I think he, I think he gets a lot uh, he deserves more flack than he gets. I mean, he is a red card waiting to happen. He still is. I don't yeah, care how is. good of a season he, he had for Pep Guardiola. He is a red card waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. That's see the thing with Guardiola's teams is he makes players who are average on their own look better, and that's a testament to his coaching. I mean, he makes Raheem Sterling look like a good player, but then again, that'll that'll cause us to think that we're, that Sterling is better than he is. You think yeah. of the goals he scored for City this season; none of them were the kind of goals you would say, "Oh no, that's a really good individual goal." They were all really good team moves. He just happened to be on the end of it. Okay, exactly. he did have a couple really good curlers from outside the box, and I'll give him his credit where it's due. He did score some really nice goals this season. But he's not a player who's going to, on his own, create you 20, 25, 30 goals a season. And, and it that's, shocks. Yeah. That's the kind of praise that he gets. Part of it's because he's English, but the other part is because he played on a team like City. But that's for our, our preview when we're going to sit sure. down. Uh, to be confirmed, but we're going to sit down with, or at least do an interview with, uh, my brother Ian and a couple of his friends who are huge Absolutely. Arsenal fans. And they may or may not be extremely be uh, uh, biased. We'll put it this way: when they give their yeah. uh, their their thoughts on the season, <laughs> it'll be it'll be so fun. So who, look for that. You, look for that you, early August. Oh, oh, and we got a real quick. Who do you think? Um, who do you think comes in for Matuidi? Matuidi suspended for the game. Mm. That's gonna be an interesting. I one. mean, honestly, honestly, take your pick. I mean, they they've they've got a loaded roster up and down. Um, I would say based on as much as he's played so far in this tournament, I know he's not really a midfielder. Um. But uh, Fakir, I think, would would come on. Okay. Um, I think they they play him more of a, as a, a number ten, a kind of midfielder, and kind of drop Pogba back into this box box to box kind of mode. Interesting. Conte's going to do what he does, and he's going to cover literally every blade of grass and win the ball at when you least expect him to win it. It's. I think they'll be fine in midfield. It's it's. I think a question of how Griezmann and Giroud and Mbappe. And probably Dembele are going to get past Godin and Jimenez, uh, because yeah. that is that is a center back pairing that works for both club and country. 
Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I want to get to this uh, because I, I not just because I have some notes on it, but because I think it's also worth mentioning. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about the matchup to watch for me is France Argent, uh, France against Uruguay. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, but what's your matchup to watch? Oh, well, it'll be very interesting. But um, for me, yeah, the, is the is the next one that day. It's Belgium Brazil. Uh, first of all, I mean, I was completely wrong. Um, Thinking that Mexico was going to beat Brazil, and the way the way I, and you know, they look like the best team in the tournament to me. But now that said, I'm wrong about everything. So <laughs> but I think but, you're a little hard on yourself there. But keep going. I mean, this game, I mean this this game could be worthy of World Cup final. Going to be two teams that are going to go each other and attack, and I'm just very 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 intrigued to see what Belgium is made of. Um, you know, we've been talking, uh, they had the last World Cup, they were kind of growing up together. It was like kind of their first go around. Then they go to the Euros and they were kind of underwhelming. And they, everyone is saying, this is the time specifically for them. And uh, in, in the round of 16, they got tested surprisingly against Japan. What a, what a comeback that was. But now is the time we're really going to see what they're made of. And going up against arguably the best team in the tournament. So I honestly have no idea how this game is going to go. Uh, I really don't. Yeah, I, I think it'll be end-to-end stuff for basically the whole 90 minutes. I don't see either one of these teams backing down and you know, backing down from playing football, as we would call it. Uh, I, I, it honestly could go either way. Obviously, I have Brazil winning the whole thing, so they have to win this game. Um, but I, again, I, I was also, like the rest of the world, very surprised about the fight that Japan put up and, and kind of surprised that Belgium let it get to that point in the first place. They showed a lot of character... Um, in coming back from that two nil deficit, but at the same time, you've you've got to think that that first that first sixty sixty five minutes of the game was just awful for them, and it really was. It, it could be good because they think you know, okay we've gotten we've got our bad spell out now we don't have to worry about it later on we'll just keep going and and kind of use that experience to help us in this big game against a team that has literally been the top of this competition for forever. Maybe not four years ago, but in theory, you think Brazil is always going to be relevant. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, like you said, it could be good for them. Uh, That was the first time they really tested. But, Owen, I mean, tell the viewers your opinion about um, Roberto Martinez because there are some pretty apparent clear flaws uh, that they're exposed for in the midfield and in the wide areas that game. And, uh, you know, Roberto Martinez is going to have to make some changes for sure. Yeah, um, it, it's going to be up to, I think, the the quality he has in attack to, to kind of mask any of their issues. The big talking point, I guess, for a lot of people has been playing a back three of, right. I believe it's Alderweireld, Vertonghen, and it's not Vermaelen, is it? Company, no, that's right. It's company, company. yeah. Um, well, they did decide to put him back in there. Yep. Yeah. Um, playing a back three is, is a weird thing for a lot of teams just because of you think of the of teams that are really good in midfield and kind of overwhelm other midfields. And at the same time, you get left with three players at the back against maybe four or five Brazilian midfielders. And, and that, could, that could be devastating for them. We saw uh, for a team like Liverpool when they played Roma, Roma went to Anfield deployed a back three and got smashed. I mean, they were lucky to, to score those two goals at the end. Mm-hmm. Liverpool just, just lost it. But that's the kind of idea when you when you have a team that likes to play three up top like Brazil, when they 
go against a team that plays three at the back. So it's 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 going to be interesting, and he's going to have to let Hazard and Lukaku and uh, Mertens just he's going to have to have their attacking players really step up and mask their flaws. Basically, don't let yourself get on the back foot because that can be terrible for Belgium. At the same mm-hmm. time, though. All three of those defenders are world-class defenders, and they've got a world-class goalkeeper as well. So it's not like the end of the world every time Belgium lose the ball. But they're right. going to have to be very careful, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you. Well, I, and like, I think you hit it spot on the nail. I mean, I think they've got huge issues in like their, just their, their pressure in the midfield. Uh, you know, they're talking about maybe bringing Dembele on uh, to kind of shirt things up. Um, I mean, maybe even... You know, like you talk about the back three, it's it can it can work, but it's also it takes a lot of practice. Uh, Cesc Fabregas is actually talking about that, and it's very hard to deploy. And you know, you can't leave space against Brazil on the on the wings. No, I mean guys no. like Neymar and Coutinho, if he drifts out there, I mean they're just they're gonna have a field day. And guys in the middle, you know, uh, like Paulinho and and Willian, who who showed to have a good game last game. Um, they, yeah. Uh, Belgium's looked underwhelming defensively, and I'm just very curious to see how they're going to um, handle this lethal attack of, of Brazil. Yeah, certainly something to watch for uh, for Belgium and Brazil as we as we get to it. Uh, I want to quickly before we get on to our next little segment. We've already been going at this for a while, but you know, yeah, it's yeah, World sure. Cup season. It is what it is. Yep. You got to keep chugging along. Um, the biggest surprise of at least the last round um, for mm-hmm. me was Russia. I mean, it's probably the easy answer, but you you look at the way they played and what they kind of reminded us who who at least watch football, those who may follow it casually or those who know nothing about it. It doesn't matter how beautiful your your football is. It doesn't matter how many passes you string together. It doesn't matter what any of what you do on or off the ball looks like if you cannot score more than your opposition. Spain, to me, represent this kind of arrogance with footballers. And we see this with a lot of teams around around Europe at the club level and maybe internationally as well. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too big on clubs outside Europe. But the, the big thing is you look at teams like Liverpool and Barcelona and Manchester City. They have to play a certain way. And it's the stubbornness mm-hmm. from their manager. It's a stubbornness from the coaching staff. It usually always works. I mean, you you look at the eye-popping football that Liverpool played this year. Obviously, Manchester City, the first ever team to have 100 points in the Premier League. Just from top to bottom, end-to-end stuff, really fun to watch. But when it doesn't work, there's no adaptation. And we didn't see that from Spain. We know Spain to be a very, very heavy possession team. I mean, they had 74% possession against Russia. 25 shots, 9 on target, and 6 corners. I mean, it was just to score it, one goal in 120 minutes. I mean, not only it was not only a possession, a lack of ideas. It was just slow. I mean, it, it was just slow. But I mean, but again, credit to Russia. You know, at the end of the day, um, you, you talked about this last podcast. You know, the success of of teams that uh, had that that aren't in possession has been really good. And credit to Russia because. No matter, at the end of the day, we can talk about Spain's falls all they want. I mean, they defended for 120 minutes very, very well. Now, again, uh, Spain gifted them a really stupid goal. But yeah. that said, like, credit to um, credit to Russia. And that was a really inspiring defensive performance 
And again, against Croatia, um, it's going to be, you know, they're going to face another team with really crafty players in the midfield um, who, you know, played a very similar way against Denmark. Denmark was kind of on the back foot. So um, it's going to be another strong test, but they can do it. I, I mean, think, Russia, there's a spirit. Yeah, no, I know. I definitely agree there. And, and it like, you know this probably better than I do. It is so tough to defend 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 oh, for 120 you get minutes so tired you get and exhausted it, chasing that ball, out. trying to keep your organization it's hot it's it, it's tough it's not easy to defend for 120 minutes so credit to russia for, for being able to do that and also having the the kind of home crowd behind you is is always going to give you more of an edge than uh than not oh yeah i do I, want to mention though uh, at least with the croatia russia matchup before we move on to our next mm-hmm. little segment I think the difference maker for Croatia, though, they might run into the same issue, but the difference maker is going to be uh, with Rebic and Mandzukic. Hmm. Mandzukic is one of the best players in world football right now with his in the air. I mean, he, he wins everything in the air. And Spain never really had that kind of dimension to their game. I mean, even you look at the team that won in 2010, one of their le- the, their striker, their main striker is Fernando Torres. And Torres is not a player who's known for being really good in the air. He's not terrible in the air, but he's not known for being that one big center forward who's going to mm-hmm. win every single header. He's going to score with his head. He's going to score any way possible. He's going to be in really good positions. And Spain just didn't have that, whereas I think Croatia actually do. And that'll be an interesting matchup, the Russian defense against Mandzukic and I mean, Rebic and the Croatian attack. I think they mentioned it during the broadcast. I mean, Diego Costa, it was like the second half, he had like seven touches on the ball. like eight. It was a really small amount. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's a really and, like they're gonna vary things up. And for they, me, part of that goes back into this kind of arrogance we see with these really good footballing teams. There's no, there's no plan B. There's always got to be some kind of plan B when you're playing in these really high stakes games. But it just seemed like Spain didn't have a plan B. A lot of the top teams don't have a plan B because they have so much conviction in their plan A. Part of it's stubbornness, maybe, but but it's just you have to have some kind of backup plan because you know if you lose this game, you're going home. Mm-hmm. But, anyways. I mean, also, too, like, the, the, the defense, uh, Vida and, with Vida and Lovren, surprisingly, uh, I mean, the defense itself has been really good. Uh, and so, overall, I mean, are they the most impressive team to you so far in this World Cup? For me, they, I, they probably would be. I think top to bottom, they've been, they've been the most impressive team. I mean, part of that is also their expectations weren't as high as, like, a France or, obviously, mm-hmm. a Germany or Spain. But they've they've surpassed yeah. their expectations and then gone and then gone further as well. So it's it it's a huge credit to Croatia for really showing up so far this tournament. Uh, I have them in the final. That was my my pick from I think <laughs> could be really good last yeah. week. I I stand by that because I really do believe that they have the ability to go forward and and make a run a serious run of this thing. Um, they really do. A lot really of England do. fans will will <laughs> not be happy with me saying that because now the tie the road to the final will go through uh if croatia is able to win against russia it'll go through croatia and i don't think england will will exactly love me hearing that but i don't think they're gonna have what it takes to make the for final. Sh- for sure well, what are your what are your thoughts on real quick what are your thoughts on england oh and, boy and, and sweden um, what, what are your thoughts about this game sweden i thought that was kind of an expected result it it, it was a very like for like kind of game sweden and denmark um both teams built on the backs of their solid defensive records they play this kind of very you know come and get us 
we're going to sit back and let you have the ball, you know, break us down kind of game. And it worked out for both of them up until this point. Um, but I think Sweden just having gone through their group in the way that they did playing Germany really tough, beating Mexico 3-0 and getting a win against South Korea as well. I think that served them well and they had that experience and that kind of that that knowledge that they can they can go toe-to-toe with anyone and, and mm-hmm. really get to it. Um so Sweden, I think they're, again, impressed, and I think they'll be a really tough test for England. That's that's a game that I think is going to go really 50-50, um, Sweden-England. Um, I, I do think Sweden's going to come out on top of that one. It'll be Croatia-Sweden. Yeah. I think I picked England. I actually picked Colombia, so I'm oh. wrong again on that. <laughs> it's but, just, you know, well, we're in the business well, of being wrong. When It's funny. I mean, maybe part of it's too, is we're around. We you know love, like English soccer, so we watch the media, but... Um, Everyone is still sleeping on the Sweden team. You know, everybody's saying, oh, England are on the easy side of the draw. They can go through. When in reality, the fact, Sweden's looked impressive all four games this tournament. And to be honest with you, uh, Colombia is a really different team without James Rodriguez. And I thought that while England controlled the game, they, their performance was far from perfect. There's a lot of things they could work on. And uh, to be honest, I mean, they've scored a lot of credits to them. They've scored a lot of goals on set pieces. But, uh, you know, like... Sweden's tough to score on, so it's going to be a really good game. So you you know you know me. I can't I can't resist throwing a shot at Tottenham when possible. Um, Kieran Trippier on the goal line. I mean, can you not jump at all? <laughs> if, if he jumps two inches higher, oh my that's gosh, not a, it's not a well, goal. He's on the post. He's he's literally doing? on the post. All you have to do is make that's sure the ball doesn't get so over your head and a ball got over his head. He obviously made up for his mistake by scoring the penalty like you're I guess supposed to. But it, it, it was just the most Spurs thing to happen to England. And the only reason I'm not rooting harder for England is the fact that there are so many players from Manchester United and City and Spurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just one Liverpool player there. I got I to gotta have a Liverpool bias show through here. I'm sorry. I, they're, they're not <laughs> relevant this tournament, so I might as well let it show now. Um, Love it. No, but but in, all, in all seriousness, um, England and Colombia was a really good game end-to-end. But just you could just see how many times both teams just whiffed on chances that they would usually be putting away. But it's just, again, neither one of those teams is really convincing, and I don't think either one's going to really pose that much of a threat on that side of the bracket. And I mean, yeah, and I think, like, you know, this is the situation we mentioned earlier, Sterling. Like, this is the situation, I think, with, well, Vardy's injured. They're probably, I mean, this is the situation that calls for Rashford or just... Basically, England controlled the game. They allowed possession. They looked really sure on defensively in midfield, but they really don't create. They don't really look that dangerous on the attack, and so like they're going to have to do something sooner or later to create more chances consistently. Uh, and I think this is where uh, this could show up against the Sweden team, who everyone it, they're going to make it ugly. I think this could the be world, a, a, to me the yeah. world is finally seeing Raheem Sterling for what he actually is. He's a money grabbing yeah. snake who piggybacks on the backs of successful teams around him. He is a good player in his own right. He's got his good qualities, but at the end of the day, he's not a world-class player, and he has failed to show up so far for England, and I think that should be very apparent to everyone the kind of player that he really is, as opposed to this player that's being hyped up by the English media. All things aside, can Harry Kane wear a disguise and take every penalty himself? Because that's what England would need if it it would go to penalties. Uh, But I'm just, yeah, he's got... The energy expended getting that one penalty monkey off your back the proverbial mm-hmm. monkey off your back is is huge, uh, and it, I, I don't know if they can have that that kind of mental stamina to go and do it again. 
I've been wrong before. Again, like I just said a few minutes ago, we're in the business of being wrong. But at the end of the day, I, I just I just wouldn't have enough faith in this in this squad to to do it again. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, like you said, credit to them for for getting the monkey off that back. For any English fan, I'm sure they're really relieved. You know, since eliminated six major six times in major tournaments. But yeah, obviously you don't want to go there again. Uh, you know, particularly like the sweet. I'm sure Sweden, the Swedish goalkeeper and the staff's going to study the habits of them. But honestly, this game very realistically could end zero zero and one one and go to PKs. Uh, uh, it's I, not going to be high scoring. I think scoreless is yeah. more likely than not, given the way Sweden have played so far in this tournament. Um, parting shot uh, as far as the World Cup is concerned. Um, mm-hmm. It has been a great World Cup from a neutral yeah. perspective. You think about the goals that we've seen. You think about the number of goals we've seen, the number of games that have been scoreless. So, again, the number of goals. It's just been an exciting World Cup. We've had last-minute goals. We've had a lot of distractions, of course, with um, a certain Brazilian player and his tendency to spend 14 Mm -hmm. minutes on the the ground. ground. Yep. Like, dude, get up. You're fine. I mean, it's it. I have have this beef with Neymar because you see a player who's so unbelievably talented. I know. And yet he decides to be a, a... goddamn dolphin like dude get up you're fine up. for sure for sure and and there are these pictures we see of even his teammates kind of smirking on the side like they know exactly what he's doing and he knows oh, exactly yeah. what he's doing but there's still yep. just no shits given involved by by anyone it's really it's, bad it's like uh, but all this aside it's been a great world cup so far and i'm kind of sad we're getting to the end of it but at the same time this is the exciting part of the world cup we get to know who who is really going to have a shot of lifting that trophy in just about a week and a half. Yeah, it's just been a great, great tournament, man. And it makes me sad that we only got another week of it, a little over a week of it. So but just after save everyone. Pretty much a month from, I don't know, a month from next weekend, we're going to have more more club football again. The Premier League starts early oh. August or so. You know, you know what my favorite quote about the England team? This reminded me of, did you hear what Jose Mourinho said? He said, he goes, they asked him what he thinks of England, and he goes, you know, they should good if you if you if you like their chances because they're in a quarterfinal and this is a really good chance for them to get to the final because not good if you if you look at the performance or how dominating they've been. <laughs> I just thought it was really it was a classic. That seems classic like a, Mourinho that's film. classic Mourinho right there. Yep. Um, but on that note, we're excited for the quarterfinals and we hope you are as well. Um, yeah. We'll probably do something next week. Uh, previewing the final because i think at this point next week we'll know who the finalists are um and we'll kind of preview the world cup final um mm-hmm. before before i get ready to head up to the bay area to watch the game with my brother and his friends who will be on the podcast uh who'll be on the show at some point when we premiere we preview the premier league mm-hmm. uh rambling aside uh, let's get into the nba or what's left of the nba now demarcus yeah. cousins has decided to take a one-year 5.3 million dollar deal with the back-to-back defending champ Golden State Warriors. Um, obviously, we should preface this by saying that, uh, you know, you know by now that LeBron James has decided to sign with the Lakers for a lot of money and a lot of years. Mm-hmm. He'll be, I think, 37 by the time his deal's up. Yep. It's basically, you know, we're getting to the end of LeBron's career, and yeah. it, it'll be cool to see him transition more from, from the LeBron we know now into this kind of, you know, pseudo-Hollywood exec who just finished a a Hall of Fame basketball career. Um, aside from that, though, uh, 
the show is called is tentatively called Hot Takes Only. We might end up changing it again. I don't know. But here's the thing: the NBA is officially 100% unwatchable now. Don't even don't even bother watching this year, um, unless you know you want to see the Warriors sweep insert Eastern Conference team here again, because there's no point in watching at all. None. Yeah. Save save your energy. Watch a different sport. Go spend time with your family. I don't care. Do anything but watch the NBA. It's pointless at this point. Well, pointless. it's really it's really sad because um, it, it's very interesting from the standpoint that there's there's a lot of really good teams in the NBA right now. Obviously, and you know you have all the teams last year plus the Lakers and and Boston. Uh, Lakers are back, and uh, Boston's going to be even better with Kyrie and Hayward. But I mean. At the end of the day, like I mean, five all stars. You know, like how does how does this happen? I mean, this is the the most talented starting lineup by a long shot. This, it's not this even happens. close. This happens because Demarcus Cousins turned down a two year, forty million dollar deal with the Pelicans. Yeah, but it didn't even get crazy. any offers. Yeah, he didn't get the any third, offers. The second or third offers. day of free agency, he has no offers on the table. He's, he goes, you know what? I'm gonna go to the Warriors. He's the best center in the NBA. He's are better you, than Joel Are you Embiid. out of your goddamn mind? Like, no, I'm sorry. This is yeah. not what you get to do. And Commissioner yep. Silver has done jack shit to deal with it. I, I don't mean to swear yeah. as much as I do on this podcast, but he's done jack shit to deal with the competitive balance in this league since he's taken over. So part of me well, is thinking that he is actually a Warriors fan, so he wants to see them do well, even though they were irrelevant about six, seven years ago. So I mean, my first, my first thought was, you know, like David Stern did with the Chris Paul trade, that he should veto the trade. But then, how can you really veto for, a trade where a guy takes five and a half point three million? You know what yeah, I mean? Like and you, and the, the Chris yeah. Paul trade, it was for basketball reasons. This yeah. is even worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this, is, there, there's, there has to be some, some kind of bylaw that says, no, Demarcus Cousins, you can't take that little money to go play for the Warriors because they have a salary cap and they're under it because all their stars are taking pay cuts. Like it's, it's. I'm sorry. I, I want to get back into the NBA. I really do, because I grew up loving the NBA. I mm-hmm. fell out of love with it for a while and then got back into it after I saw what the Cavs did. Uh, the way yeah. they played really inspired basketball mm-hmm. in 2016. Part of it's I, I like LeBron and I want to see him win and yada yada yada. Say what you will. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is, there's no. The, the NBA used to be fun to watch because you'd see players and with equal chances to win yeah. regardless now it's you are playing for the right to get swept by the warriors or to lose sure. to the warriors in humiliating fashion if you ask the rockets they're probably still salty about it which i would be too if the hawks were any good but they're not so it, it, it's just one of those things that drives me nuts because people try to bring up this argument it's like oh but the nba's always been this league defined by dynasties and super teams and i'm like yeah Back in the 60s and 70s and 80s when the Lakers and Celtics were going at it every single year. That's not the case anymore. That's a historic mm-hmm. rivalry, sure, but it's not representative of the modern-day NBA. I mean, you think about when you and I were kids, about 9 or 10 years old, when the Detroit Pistons were yeah, NBA yeah. champions. Right. The team with dudes who were ready to hit people were NBA mm-hmm. champions. Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton. That was a team, but it wasn't a team that you think, oh, this team's going to destroy us. No, but it was fun to watch, though. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's um it's really sad given how much I love basketball. What, what's happening? I mean, the uh, the Demarcus Cousins it just put things way over the top. Now, I do think Houston is is a team that can still beat them because they 
when they go small, they gave the Warriors tons of matchup problems, and uh, DeMarcus Cousins against them will have a hard time playing defense. But it's it's just sad because you know, like you said, they're um, they're just the Warriors have been so much better than everybody else, and and as many like super teams right now as we have with uh, and and more good teams that happen with the Celtics and the Lakers and. Um, Oklahoma City, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the Warriors to lose, and, and the crazy thing about this is that the Warriors are, are in the middle of the dynasty. I mean, they're, you know, if if the owners are willing to pay the money, I mean, this team is going to stay together for the next four or five years. So either someone's going to have to, you know, get another super team to knock them off their throne, or we're just going to see the best dynasty that uh, we've ever seen for the next yeah, four or and, five years. And the thing yeah. is... I will give credit to the Warriors for drafting Steph Curry and drafting Draymond Green and drafting Klay Thompson and putting together yeah. the team the way they did. However, I will not give them credit for luring in a player who just got humiliated by the Warriors, a team that won 73 games and came back on the Thunder in a three uh, deficit of 3-1, yeah. getting their best player the next season and stomping on everyone for the next two seasons. I will not give them any <laughs> credit for that. I will give... No credit to... I will give all the credit for destroying the league's parity to Kevin Durant, however. Uh, and it's it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, here we go again with the Warriors. And who's it going to be next season? They sign Anthony Davis to a max contract? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And I was having this discussion with my friends who are from the Bay Area, or at least spent a lot of time in the Bay Area, uh, at least in high school. And, and look, they're, they're really good guys, and I appreciate what they bring to the table, kind of their perspective. Um, and that's basically that... You know, the city, Oakland gets behind, or the East Bay gets behind the Warriors. It's not a kind of San Francisco team. It's mm-hmm. not a South Bay team. Or it's it's not a Silicon Valley team. But what I would offer to that argument is the fact that they are owned and controlled by Silicon Valley billionaires. They are. The money involved in maintaining that organization does not come from Oakland itself, like the A's or the Raiders. If they were like the A's or the Raiders and then doing what they're doing on the basketball court, I would have nothing but respect for them. But the A's are not dominating baseball. The Raiders are not dominating the NFL. (laughs) The Warriors are dominating the NBA with the money from Silicon Valley. So to that end, I would say the Warriors are more a Silicon Valley team than they will ever be an Oakland team. That's me and my perspective, though, so feel free to at me. I know I'm probably wrong, but that's, that's that's what I see from the outside. Well, they also just moved the arena to San exactly. Francisco. Exactly, they're, they're moving so. to San Francisco as well. And the fact that you have an organization that's that's built on the back of Silicon Valley money leads me to believe that this well, that their success is not coming from the city of Oakland. Now, obviously, they do yeah. play in Oakland, and the city has a strong connection with the Warriors. But at the end of the day, you have to look at this as a way of thinking, okay. This money's coming from Silicon Valley, though. That's not necessarily representative of Oakland, even if the fans are very loyal to their team. So, you know, absolutely. I mean, they, like you said, I also have always thought they're more of a a Bay Area team. Um, But, you know, credit to them. I mean, listen, man, they they also had good fans. They have a lot of bandwagon fans, but they also had good I remember, the, I think it was 2006 when they beat Dallas in the first round. They were the eighth seed, and they upset them. They had really good fan support. Um, but my overall, one of my overall thoughts is that the NBA should really consider imposing a hard cap. You know, the, the Thunder just—they're the first team to have an over 300 million dollar payroll. 
uh, with luxury tax. And Clay Thompson's going to be a free agent next summer, and the Warriors are going to pay him. Draymond Green, following that, is going to be a free agent. They're going to pay him. Um, so if they impose more of a hard cap, um, it would just make the competitive balance better. Yeah, I agree. And and competitive balance is, is one of those really weird things to get right. And that's funny because that's what we're going to use to segue into baseball. Um, it's something you never really get right, especially when mm-hmm. you have a, a sport that's played with so few players. I mean, you look at yeah. play, like you look at baseball and and soccer are the two sports. For example, you either have nine or eleven guys in the field at once, and that's a stark contrast from five when the mm-hmm. scoring is so back and forth, and anything can change be changed by one individual player in a team sport. That's that's not like a whole lot of other sports. We, obviously, we talk about the impacts of, of your stars, your LeBrons, your Messis, your Ronaldos, your Bryce Harpers, your Mike Trouts, your Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I said Ronaldo. Uh, mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying. It's The impact of, of a single player in a team sport is something that is it's, it's weird to talk about because it is a team sport, mm-hmm. but you kind of understand it at the end of the day. Um, back to just circling back on the Warriors for a second. I mean absolutely no disrespect to the Warriors or their fans. Yeah. I mean, what they've done to... To create what they have is is special, and it's something that it's, it's good for the city, it's good for the area, and it's good for the fans. At the same time, though, there is a part of this that that rubs other teams and other fans the wrong way. Because for me personally, as a Hawks fan, I'm excited that we drafted Trey Young and Kevin Horder. And Did you Lamar see what Stelman. happened to him today? Did yeah, you see got in a bit of a funny. fight with uh, uh, <laughs> Grayson uh, little, Allen, little, little sob Grayson Allen. Um, <laughs> who, um, who likes to throw knees? He's gonna find out real quick if you throw a knee in the NBA or uh, try yeah. to trip someone. You will, uh, you will, you will feel it mm-hmm. in a quote-unquote legal screen. Mm-hmm. This is no. There are no moving screen. There are no. No one calls them anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I have respect for the Warriors and what they mean to the city. But at the same time, it, when you look at it from a purely sporting standpoint, it is just a pain in the ass to look at every single time because it's like, oh, who's winning the NBA? Who's going to win the NBA Finals again? The Warriors. Who are they going to sweep? I don't know, but it's going to be a sweep. It, it's sure. just it's ridiculous. So that's you- that's my two cents. And that's my own frustration. It's nothing personal. It's just it's a frustration from a sporting perspective. If Chris, now that's Paul, on the table. if Chris Paul doesn't get injured, does Houston beat them? I think oh, they do. Yeah, I think they do. I but, think so. but the problem is, and we talked about this, uh, I think it was last week or it was a while, it was a while ago. Um, I think when we did our, our World Cup preview, I said this before, I'm going to stick by it. Teams have turned into this, let's try to shoot threes and be the Warriors. When they play the Warriors, it doesn't ever work when you are seven for 44 from three i think you're doing something wrong like mm-hmm. when you miss maybe the first 15 you should probably stop at least yeah at least for a little bit maybe you try attacking the rock and getting yeah, out the warriors right, right. but that, that's that's for another time and hopefully we won't have to be talking about the nba a whole lot uh, it's amazing right how the season or this is the time we're not supposed to be talking about the nba and somehow the nba always finds its way into the conversation uh, don't get me started on what the nfl is trying to do to get in the conversation there uh, yeah uh, that's for, sure. for that's for another day definitely mm-hmm. what's not for another day however is baseball we are just about at the all-star break um just mm-hmm. another week left or so uh, Monday the 16th is the home run derby the 17th is the all-star game and i only know these dates because i'm gonna be out of town on the 16th hey that's fine <laughs> um 
But no, I'm, I'm really excited for the All-Star break because it's a really special time for baseball. It's a really special time for me just because it's it's my, you know, baseball's my favorite sport. It always has been, always will be. Home run derby is just a lot of fun to watch. Um, and the All-Star game is, is when you get to see the best players and the best teams really get together and, and see who's better. It used to mean something when I'm kind of sad it doesn't anymore. It's now just kind of for fun. It used to be home field advantage for those of you who don't know. But now, um, as of last year, the game's... Just they just don't mean anything like with the Pro Bowl, the NBA All Star Game. For for sure. So, Owen, I have a baseball question for you. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, so um, zero, one, or two. Give me the number uh, of between the uh, Red Sox, your teams, the Red Sox and the Braves. How many of them win their division? Uh, one. And which one would that be? Boston. There's no way Atlanta wins that division. I mean, they're uh, winning the division. They are right now, and as much as I want to see them win the division, I just, I just, I'm sorry, I can't see it. I, they're they're inevitably going to collapse. Uh, at least, if it doesn't start at the All Star break, it'll start sometime in in late August, early September, and the Braves will, you know, they they might win a wild card spot, but I again with this team, they've got a lot of young talent. Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna have been terrific so far this year. Pitching's been solid. Uh, the bullpen hasn't been amazing, but there's the trade deadline as always, and Alex Anthopoulos is known for being one of those GMs who is not afraid to go out and get sure. someone. He's a win-now kind of GM, and I think that's what uh, the Braves wanted when they hired him. But I just can't see it. Boston, why, on the other hand. Why not? Why, why, so it's more it's more of a team issue than it it's, is. It's a collective team issue. It's not anything specific. It's not the, the fact that the Nats are really good because let's not kid ourselves. The Nats aren't as good as people say they are. They're so who, just, who's going to win that division then? You trust the Phillies? Um. Gabe no, Kapler. I, I I think it still will be the Nats, but it'll it'll be ugly, uh, in the sense that they could, they conceivably could could win that division with about eighty nine eighty eight wins. Yeah, I mean, but that that would I, be ugly. That'd well, be, you know what, man? If if the if, if the Nationals always choke in the playoffs, maybe they just need to sneak into the playoffs, and that's the recipe for for winning. No. They, uh, I, I think the issue with DC is just a very, it's really hard to put into words, but it's, it, you know, obviously last year with uh, the, the, the trades they made at the deadline to short the bullpen, they went and got Sean Doolittle, who's been great. They went and mm-hmm. got Ryan Matson, who's been good. And they went and got Brandon Kinsler, who's been good. But there's just this collective groan every time DC, every time the, the Nats get to the playoffs, because you know, in some way or another, it's going to end. Mm-hmm. For them, they really they really believe that this is their window. This is their this has to be their year. And and from watching some of the earlier Sunday night baseball broadcasts um, from earlier in the year, especially when they played Dodgers, you know they were talking about it with with the staff. I mean this they believe this has got to be their year, and they haven't been playing well of late. I mean pretty much everyone one through nine in the or in the in the in the batting order, plus the rotation outside of Max Scherzer, it's just been a, a struggle. Because you know what you're going mean, to you know get out of insane. Max Scherzer. He's going he's gonna to strike out a bunch of guys, maybe give up like maybe one or two runs over seven or eight innings. He's going to be amazing. But the rest of that rotation, Strasburg's hurt, and, and Tanner Roark is just Yeah, they've had great. some injury problems. It's, it's, that, it's an overrated team for me. And I'm not just but, saying that because yeah. I don't like them. I'm saying that because you look at that team and you look at where they are, where they are, it's they're they're over. Their their offense though, I don't know what happened to their offense. They, I mean, I think a big part was they lost Anthony Rendon for a big part of the season, and he's kind of 
him yeah, and Murphy, and, and they're the kind of guys who they're just the 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 professional hitters. Harper is your your kind of I'm gonna be in the middle of the lineup. I'm gonna do damage. Uh, you know, I'm gonna hit a bunch of bombs, even though I'm gonna hit like mm. 215. He's very close to the Mendoza line, and in a year in a in a walk year like this year, you don't want to be near that line at all at any point. For for sure, for sure. So so it's so, a struggle. So to you, Owen, I mean, we, we talked about the disappointment in the Nationals, and granted, there is time left, and they're not, uh, they they're they're in range of coming back. But what to you in baseball has been your biggest story throughout the season, both you know from a team and an individual standpoint? Uh, I I don't want to be that guy, but I'm gonna bring up the the whole homers versus strikeouts thing. Uh, the fact mm. that there's such an emphasis on homers and and we're, it's really getting into the national media because a few years ago we weren't talking about launch angle on a on a Sunday All night broadcast, time. but now every All single time. time, every single Sunday, either Jessica Mendoza or Alex Rodriguez. Not a knock on either one of them. I, li- I like both of them. As I think analysts, they're great. I think they're I don't great. like Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. That's another story. Um, I think they're both great analysts. Matt Fascurzon is one of my favorite play-by-play guys. He's great, but launch angle always finds its way into the discussion, and I—it's just one of those things where it's exciting, yes, but it gets away from what's what you and I understand as this fundamental baseball. You know, mm-hmm. put the ball in play when there's runners on, small ball bunt when you have to, swing for the fences when you got your big guys up. Maybe sure, but it's turned into this thing, and we've seen it with teams like the Dodgers. We've seen it with teams like the Astros. We've seen it with teams like the Yankees of all teams. <laughs> It's this swing and miss mentality, but if you swing, it's probably going to leave the yard. And with the Dodgers, they, they set, just set a franchise record for 55 homers in June. Right. And after I, I will say, I, I, do, I did have a whole thing prepared for the Dodgers. I'll get to it in a second. Um, but, it's, again, it's just this emphasis on, on this uh, all-or-nothing approach, and I think we're getting away with that, away from this kind of fundamental baseball. I don't want to sound like kind of an older, you know, a crusty old man in, in that sense, but I, I – I don't know. I, I do like seeing homers. I mean, you know, come on. Sure. It's, who doesn't like a homer? Well, yeah, there has to be more contact here, right? Exactly. You, you want, exactly. Strikeouts are the worst thing. You yeah. Know, and strikeouts are the single worst thing to happen. Yeah. And, and you hear this all the time, um, especially on one of the podcasts I listen to, Starting Nine by, Ballst- by Barstool Sports, hosted by um, Jared Carabas <laughs> yep. and uh, Dallas Braden. Really good podcast. But they talk about um, they talk about these a lot of those ideas. Um, and just going back and forth on this swing and miss mentality versus the payout from from scoring, and I'm sure there's a lot of sabermetric analysis that go that's probably way over my head. It, it's just I don't know. That's my whole spiel of baseball. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. No, it's it's interesting. Well, all right, I, I got I got a couple interesting stories. I mean, first off, uh, I mean. I thought you you haven't mentioned the name Mookie Betts, and I thought no. that was gonna be the first thing you were gonna mention because no. boy, and boy, is he good. He's having a great season, but he did just uh, come back from the DL uh, yeah. recently, so he's been it, it's been kind of a slow progression back to what we saw before he got hurt. I know, um, but he's he's great. He's man. he is a fantastic player, and if Mike Trout was not a baseball player, he would be the MVP right now. Uh, but Mike Trout plays baseball, so Mike Trout's the MVP. Just, there's no there's no discussion there. Yeah, he's the incredible. Let's just give him the award now and be done with it. It's incredible. Shame that team isn't better. But uh, second, all right. So then, on that subject, I mean, simply put, it is so fun when both the Yankees and the Red Sox are both so good at the same time. So who you got? Who you got in the AL East? 
Uh, I bet it drives people nuts to hear the Red Sox and Yankees are both really, really good at the same time. <laughs> I bet I bet neutral fans are just like squirming, just like, oh my god, I, love I can't it. stand it. I, love it. I, I think it's great for the sport, but that's that's also me. I'm biased. I'm a Red Sox fan, so eh. mm-hmm. sorry, not sorry. Um, AL East. Uh, see, I, I can't give a good answer here because if I say the Yankees, I'm going to go against my my beliefs that the Yankees suck and I hate the Yankees and everything. But if I pick the Red Sox, I'll be called out for being a homer. <laughs> and there's no other team in that division who's even close to winning the division to to, mm-hmm. to ever winning it, at least in the next few years. The Rays, uh, no. The Orioles are a, a train wreck. Uh, just Awful. day after day it gets worse um, because I haven't traded Manny Machado. And uh, we haven't mentioned the Blue Jays because they're just they're the Blue Jays. I mean, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't they don't really do much. They're they're nice. The Canadians are nice people, but the Blue Jays are, are not good at baseball anymore. Um, they were good a couple of years ago, but they're they're not good anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know what i i might I might have to say the Yankees based on that lineup. Um, Glaber Torres just at the DL. Gary Sanchez has been on the DL, but you have to think that if they're fully healthy by, you know mid to late August, they're going to be pounding the cover off the baseball like they always do, and they'll they'll storm their way to a division title. I think the Red Sox will be the wild card, um, and they'll probably play uh, the Mariners in a mm-hmm. winner-take-all game. And it's funny, I was reading this from, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Pete Abram of the Boston Globe who covers the Sox. Um, mm-hmm. He was saying, I think he was saying that the Sox got Steve Pierce uh, recently, yep. With mm-hmm. the wild card game in mind, in case they have to face James Paxton, Big Maple, uh, from the Mariners, because uh, Pierce owns Paxton in his career. That was like five for six with four extra base hits. That's a, like wow. That's a lot for just one. I mean, that's... so, so, but you know, it, it's one of those things where it's uh, that's to me the more likely scenario. As much as I want to say the Red Sox are going to win the division, I I feel like that's more likely. A, just because the Yankees have too good of a of a lineup. It, yeah, I think it's that lineup, and ultimately they'll start. Their starting pitching is going to get better. They're going to go out and get someone at the deadline. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe Jacob DeBron, Jacob Degrom is going to move across town. Maybe they're going to get Zach Wheeler, a less touted, a not as highly touted uh, pitcher for the Mets. Uh, maybe they'll get someone off the radar who turns into a star, uh, or maybe the rest of the rotation out of outside of Severino and maybe Sabathia. We'll pick up the rack, but really, I, it, I have to say, I have to say the Yankees. It's just my my gut feeling is telling me it's going to be uh, the Yankees are going to stop the Red Sox from three peating in that division. Oh man, I mean, it's just it's just really exciting, man. I mean, if it did come down, it's it's a real shame that one of those teams is going to have to play in in that wild card game. And as a fan. It's exciting, but I really just dislike it, you know, because if you have two really good teams like that, um, that when one of them, you know, plays in a one-game playoff, it's just really not fair. Now, the Red Sox do have Chris Sale, so, you know, that could work out in their favor, but, you know, yeah. it, it, it's it's very, very interesting. No, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you wish you could have multiple playoff spots to kind of, you know, have playoff teams uh, irrespective of, of division. But at the same time, it, given – where the Red Sox and Yankees are right now, that would come at the cost of the Cleveland Indians, uh, oh. who are ah. the greatest. Hey, Owen, you want to hear Optic? Oh, here we and go. I, I was, I was actually saying this, but you, Okay, you, no, 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 yeah, let's hear about the so, Indians. Yeah, I did have to say this. Well, this could be really good, man, because 
Yes, Cleveland's in a weak division, but they're flying under the radar because all the tensions on the Yankees and the Red Sox and their Astros, and you know the Mariners are going to get to So, but uh, listen, man, the the Astros and the Yankees and the Red Sox have great lineups, but who's got great pitching? It's the Indians. So, you know, like last year, Cleveland comes in the playoffs and you know they're on a hot streak and uh, everyone thinks this could finally be their year. Obviously, the previous season they go to seven games and lose in the World Series. So maybe maybe just getting into the playoffs without a lot of attention. You know, they've been there before. Um, they've got some experienced players. They've got key guys in the, in the lineup too. So uh, maybe maybe that's just a recipe for maybe maybe that's good. Maybe it's good to have the pressure off of them. Oh, I agree. It could definitely it could definitely work in their favor. Um, you you think of the teams that are getting all the attention in the AL, and the AL is one of those really top heavy. Uh, leagues this year. It's not usually this this kind of cut and dry, but we kind of know it's going to be the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Indians, the Astros, and probably the Mariners, uh, barring just a dumpster fire at the end of the season. Um, but they're in, they're in really good shape right now, anyways. So you know, obviously, knock on wood for the Mariners fan. Shout out to Reese, my my boy, big <laughs> Mariners fan, big Seattle sports. Yeah, fan. Um, he'll be he'll be hoping for some big things from from the Nurs. Um, I never but, thought of. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I don't. No, just my one thought is it's we don't really see this kind of top heavy league, and and you know we've seen this with the kind of the World Cup. It's a different sport, different atmosphere entirely. But that idea of yeah, the top teams are really really good. But what happens when they go up with a team that's good, but doesn't have that kind of weight of expectation on their shoulders? I don't know. Yeah, maybe freeze. That's a really that's a really interesting point, man. That's a really interesting point. Uh, yeah, and I mean, but. Also, I mean, you, you talk about the, the, the teams being kind of top-heavy and teams being really good, but it's nice to see the traditional, like the big market teams, you know, now with the, with the Dodgers back playing better, and, you know, you got the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah, and that, so, was, that was one of the things I was going to talk about for the Dodgers. Um, as of today, today's July 5th, uh, the Dodgers are 47-39. and 39. They are half game out of first place. Imagine where they were in April and May. They oh, were yeah. near the bottom of the division, not playing good baseball. The bullpen was awful. The lineup was terrible. Mm-hmm. People were calling for Dave Roberts to be fired. People were calling for Friedman and Zaidi, the GM and president of baseball operations, to both be fired as well. For players like Bellinger to be demoted. For players, I mean, like, it's such an overreaction. It, it, it was a it was a blatant overreaction. But that happens in you know kind of the, this age of social media where everyone thinks they they know better than the players. Um, but now you look at you look at what they're doing, Matt Kemp. Resurgent season, strong all-star candidate. I think he's second in the ballot behind Nick Markakis, who's again been a huge surprise to even me because I don't. I'm not a huge fan of Markakis, mainly because they he came from the Orioles. Number one and number two, they gave him Hayward's jersey, and that just did not sit well with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but I digress. It's it's been a really impressive year for the Dodgers. Max Muncie has been hitting home runs left and right. Um, Corey Seager's out for the year, so that's mm-hmm. kind of disappointing for the Dodgers. But uh, Chris Taylor has kind of gained, gotten it back a little bit. Justin Turner's back from the DL and kind of yep. doing Justin Turner Big. thing, having long at bats, seeing a lot of pitches, and just being that 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 guy in the middle of the lineup that you know that no matter how well he does, he's going to be a presence. Um, and and you look, the Dodgers are going to be fine. I was telling people this in April. I was telling people this in May. They were like, "Oh, and do you you know is it?" Is it too late? Is it? Do we start panicking for the Dodgers? I went, no, you don't start panicking in May. You panic in August and September 
when it's really when when teams start to get eliminated mathematically, that's when you panic. Yeah, no, I mean, and I I also think first of all, like you said, I mean, last year, dude, they they went on such a hot streak, right? In like the, after the first two months of the season, that you knew they could get hot. But also, like you said, it was also such an overreaction because of the injuries. You know, Justin Turner was a big loss, and initially you weren't sure if Corey Seager. Uh, how big a loss that was going to be, but you know, like you said, other guys like Muncie have stepped up. So yeah, believe it or not, they're they're right there, and maybe they have they're refocused. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it it could be a blessing in disguise for the Dodgers to to kind of start the season the way they did, and now to be in the position they are, really close to the top of the division, if not at the top. Um, by the time you hear this, it's they're they're in a good spot. They're going to be fine. I've been telling people this a lot. They're going to be just, just fine. I do want to give a special mention to the Milwaukee Brewers, though. Mm -hmm. People who don't follow baseball are going to be absolutely shocked by this when they hear that name because the Brewers haven't been really good for quite a while. I think it's five or six years ago they were relevant last, um, back when CC was younger. Ryan Braun was younger, uh, Ryan Braun having his MPP season, but also his PED allegations. That's for another day entirely. Um, but you look at the pieces they've added. They added Lorenzo Kane and Kristen Yelich, who have been massive for them this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kane flying under the radar for another MVP season. Uh, it, it's just, it's been really, really refreshing for the Brewers. And it's, it's you know, this they're kind of sneaking up on people. That's And that's what you talked about, man. I mean, you... To kind of mention what you mentioned at the beginning of the show about the you know the competitive balance, uh, you know, uh, and it, yeah, man, it's it's nice to see the Brewers back again. Like it, it really is. It's a great it's a great story. Nice to see Braves back again. Uh, would love to see the Marlins <laughs> turn oh, things around. Man. Oh, but they're yeah, um, they're sad. they're doing their own thing right now. But we'll. I'd love to see the Padres one of these years. Like you know, they went all in with AJ Preller was there. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I mean, do you think they're going to beat the Cubs in that division? Cause I think they very well could, if they go out and get a, a big name starter for that rotation, much like they got CC all those years ago, I think they can mm-hmm. do it, but it'll be, it'll be tough. The Cubs are, the Cubs are the Cubs. The Cardinals are never going to go away quietly. They're so not. we'll, we'll have to see. That'll be an interesting division. I think that'll be the best division of baseball this year. Probably the best chance for three wildcard teams to come out of the same division. I think it's going to be one. I mean, the, the AL West the, is pretty good, too. Yeah. Um, I think one team from the NL West, one team from the NL East, uh, but three from the Central, I think, is probably the best call this year. I don't yeah. know if it'll be I don't know if it'll be the Pirates. I don't know if it'll be the Cardinals. I don't know if it'll be one or two. But I, I could see it the best, the strongest chance that it happening from the NL Central. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating in that sense, man. It really is fascinating. Yeah. Well, we've been going on this, going on and on about random topics for a while, but we want to hear from <laughs> you. Um, if you've got something you want to commit to, uh, to contribute, I can't speak at 11 o'clock at night, uh, something to contribute to the show, feel free to reach out to us. I'll put uh, at least my Twitter handle and probably Willie's as well in the description. Um, I don't <laughs> know how often you're on Twitter, uh, but I'm, yeah. I'm there pretty much all the time. So tweet at me with anything you feel like you, you feel like we should add to the show. Uh, we're always kind of making sure this thing's as good as it can be for two dudes who just talk about sports all day, every day. Yeah. And one of them doesn't really care about sports. It, figure that one out. Um, <laughs> moving <laughs> on. Um, before we get to the, our kind of hot takes, I, I want to kind of roadmap the rest of our, 
I guess, we think about the rest of our summer as far as these shows are concerned. It's not not every show for the rest of summer, uh, but just an idea of where we're headed with this. Um, the Premier League is just around the corner, which is making me really excited. Liverpool is getting their preseason underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, still coming off that tough loss in the Champions League final, but you know, Chelsea's trying to figure out their coach. <laughs> right, uh, a lot of moving pieces going on with with Chelsea. Um, so our preview, I'm thinking we're going to be releasing it sometime in early August. Yeah, uh, probably the I'm first sorry. couple days or so. I think the first match is the weekend of the 10th, 11th, and 12th. Don't quote me on that. Uh, it might be earlier than that, but we'll hope to have that up. We'll also have probably preview the world cup final next week on our show we'll probably know yeah. who's, who's going to be around for that so be sure to stay tuned to all things hot takes only because we only give you the hottest takes because we don't really care enough to have a not hot take anyways uh ramble aside willie uh parting shots what are you okay yeah so i got i got a few really strong ones um uh a few soccer related ones oh boy here so we go. so the first uh a few um so the first one is, and you kind of touched a little bit on earlier, but um, I am absolutely livid with the embellishment um, of fouls in this tournament. And, I mean, it's not just him, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but, I mean, we do got to start with Neymar. Like you mentioned it before, you know, 14 minutes on the ground, five and a half minutes in the Mexico game. In the uh, game against Switzerland, he takes a roll, like he takes a somersault. Um, you know, I was sick. I was sick of, and you know, it's funny because Tite, who's defending him, Osorio warns the the referees coming into the game about this, right? It happens, and he does the same thing. Now, you know, would you say Lyun probably should have got a red card, but still, like he completely embellished it. And it's funny because Tite, uh, even though he defends him, he um, when he used to coach in Brazil and Neymar played for Santos, he used to say the same thing about him. He, he's got to grow up. And I think that, um, to be honest with you, I think one of the negative perceptions amongst casual soccer fans is that, uh, you know, soccer players could be, you know, foot fairies or just not, you know, tough. And, and when you just see players like this and Neymar, uh, stuff like this, it really makes me sick, man. It, it takes the whole um, beauty and, and integrity of the game out of, of play to me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's been it's been such a problem this entire tournament, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to get better. Uh, the only thing that's going to help it is people being more aware of it. Now, here's my take on Neymar. If his name was not Neymar, he would have been sent off twice already. Wow, okay. I mean, and that's that's hard to do in, in which the case? World Cup because you get suspended for a game if you get sent okay. off, right? He would get sent off twice. Because for the number of dives, if they would, if, if he wasn't who he is, they sure. know it's coming. They can't stop it. And number one, uh, the big thing, not number one, the, the big, they don't care. They, it's going to take away from the game if you have to take Neymar off the pitch for some reason. Do you think that he's the a refs- global star? He's too big of a star for anyone. He's bigger. It was like he we're is. saying with Ronaldo and VAR. VAR. Yeah, yeah, he is yeah, bigger sure. than VAR. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's just sad to see at this point in time because, it, like you said, it takes away from the integrity of the game. And it's not just Neymar. And players, no. albeit haven't been cautioned or even warned about diving so far in the tournament. But uh, it, it, not, it, not to kind of defend it, but it it, it is the world yeah. stage. It is kind of the World Cup. It's, it's, you know, everyone wants to play for their country. Everyone wants their country to do well. So there's, sure. you know, 
there's this added level of gamesmanship that we don't always see at the club level just because they play so many games with the clubs and mm -hmm. with the World Cup it's maybe four or five games and you're done. So, but that that's my take is that it's it's because Neymar is Neymar. Do you think that the refs don't call? He certainly embellishes fouls, but he does get fouled too. Do you think the refs should call more fouls? No, I mean, I, it's yeah, it's. I don't think it has anything to do with the number of fouls called. It's just that it, a foul is still going to be a foul. It's just whether or not the player decides to add to it to try to get a player sent off. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have, kind of have to draw the line. It's you know I'm fine with teams fouling Neymar. It's just when he goes the extra mile to try it, try to make it look like it's more than just like a common foul. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's the problem in the basketball too. It's part of the reason I don't watch a lot of basketball as much basketball as I used to, because it's it's just it takes away from the game when players start flopping over. LeBron's guilty of this. I mean, every player in the league is guilty. of this. Everybody, yep. It, it's it's sick to watch, man. And also in the in the England game, I mean, there's just. I thought that there was, it was definitely a chippy game, but there were also players just trying. It was an acting. It was well, players it trying. To, Mark Geiger yeah. is a disgrace of a referee. It should never referee another game, so, especially in this country. I wanted to ask you on. So that that this is my second of my three things that I wanted to cover, and with the soccer in this last block. Um, well, yeah, a analyze his performance. You know, for me, because he, he's certainly taken a lot of heat. Uh, he's a terrible referee. Uh, shouldn't be anywhere near a game with the World Cup ever again. Uh, wow. And just doesn't know how to control games. He, he is not a good referee. And I don't think the MLS... Uh, I could go on and on about how flawed the MLS is. Um, and it's it's kind of stems from the U.S. Soccer Federation, which, again, is mm -hmm. this whole other thing on why the U.S. is terrible at soccer and always will be until they fix these stupid issues. Um, but it's, it's just a case of Mark Geiger being not a quality referee not understanding the game a certain way it's mm -hmm. this it's it's not just calling the fouls it's not just awarding free kicks it's not doing the standard referee things it's, it's controlling the game if you will if you show a player an early yellow card if you say hey i know you're good i know you guys are trying to play physical i am aware of that but tone mm -hmm. it down or i will start setting you off it's he doesn't he doesn't understand that and he you you know that with teams that play against specifically Atlanta United because it just seems like every time mm -hmm. a team plays Atlanta United and he's the ref every call goes against Atlanta and that's it's ridiculous. But see, I mean, is it too harsh to? I mean, yes, I don't think it was a good performance, but is it too harsh to say? I mean, yeah, maybe he just had a bad game. I mean, like you know, people like Maradona, they're saying, oh, you know. U U.S. MLS isn't good enough, so therefore he doesn't know how to ref a game. But then, like, therefore, shouldn't FIFA have not let him ref that game if they thought he wasn't a good referee? I don't know who decides the referees for FIFA, and I don't know what their thought process is. I don't know if it's more than one person. And I hope it's more than one person. Uh, but right now, the process is flawed because they let Mark Geiger do a game, and I don't think he ever should. He ever should be close to the game. I mean, uh, you, you, yeah. you listen to referees like Mark Clattenburg, uh, like when he sits down with, for example, the ESPN FC crew, you listen, or the NBCSN crew, you yeah, listen NBC, yep. to Mark Clattenburg, and you That's actually right. learn something from listening to him open his mouth. Yeah. I don't feel like I would ever learn anything from opening well, from Mark Geiger opening his mouth to talk about refereeing. I mean, uh, and I have such an issue with the penalty kick, but do you th believe the rumors, you know, that Pepe uh, told one of the... Uh, Morocco players that he asked for uh, Ronaldo's jersey. I don't know. FIFA's denied that, but 
that that would be crazy. I, Absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised because it is Cristiano Ronaldo, and you know, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's 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 part of the game, you know, having dodgy refereeing, and that's kind of. I mean, <laughs> it's, I it's, just for for the banter. That's kind of why we love it because we're we're here to see referees do a terrible job. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just a shame, and I just the the you listen. What if you're gonna call that that PK? Um, that foul against Harry Kane, which was a foul, but like you know, like they don't—they're not calling it consistently throughout the tournament. So on the biggest stage, that—that—that yeah, that, that was that was a tough one. It really was yeah, for Columbus. And, and it reminds me of another incident involving a certain Harry Kane against a team from the northwest of England. <laughs> I think it was some point over the week. Yeah. yeah, it was when they played Liverpool, and Harry Kane was awarded two penalties, neither one of which were penalties. Mm-hmm. That's all which, I gotta say. It, was okay, interesting. it wasn't Harry Kane both times, but it was yeah, for both sure. times, which means he, you know. Spurs, yeah, he, he's Spurs incredible though. All right, last the last of the three for at least soccer related. So um, I think that um, Garrett South. I, I I've been reading a lot about how Garrett Southgate's learned some stuff from American sports, but you know one of the big things is that um, you know England, believe it or not, when you when you Factor in set pieces and penalty kicks. They've only scored, I think, two goals from the run of play. But credit to Garrett Southgate because he spent a lot of time working on set pieces. And he said that he's identified that as an area of strength. And I think that practicing set pieces and and using set pieces as a skill a lot of times to say, oh, they just scored a set piece. I think that's something we've learned from this tournament because England had made it a habit. And, you know... Interestingly enough, like one of the parts what they learn Americans was they he he went to you know he went to a, an American basketball game and he watched basketball uh, and he learned about how players set picks and that's why for example there's a goal in the Panama game and you, if you see when England kind of does their motion in the box players will kind of line up jam next to each other and one will will set a pick and the other will move um, and I just think you know they also had he also did a media day but I just think it's very interesting because. Uh, I think people don't place an emphasis on on set pieces as a skill. It's a real weapon to have. Yeah, and I think it, it it's it's good, but it only works if you have the personnel for it. England just happen to have the personnel for it. They have guys who are big, physical, get in your face in the box, and they they go for it. I mean, you think of their their smallest center back. I mean, it. Yeah, it's I, Stones. I don't, I don't know. know. John yeah. Stones is your smallest center back. I mean, that's you know. In the words of uh, a certain bartender up up in uh, the Bay Area at Maggie McGarry's, you need to have <laughs> proper six foot four center halves. <laughs> um, no, but oh. in all seriousness, <laughs> I think it is definitely a skill, um, and yeah. it, it works when it works. It works really well. And you think of teams that have that kind of ability, uh, or they're kind of those those physical attributes, and you know, you you kind of hope they do a little better on set pieces, but it is something like you say you do have to practice it. And 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 again, you know, same thing. I mean, I know uh, they won the PK shootout, but in regulations, I mean, um, they he's placed a lot of time on on practicing penalty kicks and training and and picking the spot. And interestingly, you know, so players are confident. Interestingly enough, you know, he didn't. Uh, it, I thought it was interesting. He didn't. Ask who wanted to take a penalty and and make a lineup. He chose them for them. I thought that was a really interesting tactic. 
He just said, you're the best penalty kick takers. You take the penalty kick. And I just think a lot of things that he's done from the set pieces, he had a Super Bowl, like like media day to bring uh, fans closer to the players. Um, there's been a couple other things he's done. He, he had the players stay up till 6 a.m. after the match because he wanted them to create the memories. Like, There's something special about this England squad, and it's not always pretty, but credit to the manager because he's done a lot of little things that you wouldn't normally, we don't normally talk about with soccer managers, but but has really uh, helped the lads perform well. I mean, you know as well as I do that it's coming home. Yeah, and that's what the English say. So if oh, they say geez. if they say it, oh, it must geez. be true. Oh, oh my goodness, it's coming oh, home. That's what they say. Oh my um, god! But obviously, you and I have a, have a slightly different take on that. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, but it, it, I don't know. I feel like it'd be kind of cool. To see England win, but like you say, it's it's there's something different about this team and the way Southgate is doing his job, and I think he's done a fantastic job uh, because he he's he's created a different atmosphere that I think works well when you don't have as many big global superstars like kind of the golden generation. I mean, a couple years ago at the World Cup, you had you had Beckham, you had Gerrard, you had Lampard, you had Scholes, you had Scholes. Ferdinand, you had oh, Neville. Oh, team. Oh, my gosh. You, had, it was you had so many loaded players, but they were all stars. That was the thing. They helped. And with stars usually come egos. With this team, that that's not as much of a case. I mean, you think maybe Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, and I don't know. But, to, but, you be, but Maybe Jamie Vardy, but even so, it's not as big of a factor. But, that's, but, but you want to know the scariest thing about this team, though, man, is – Look at this next team in four years. I mean, we could be saying this could be a start-slitter roster. Like, we could be saying that Harry Kane is the best forward in the world consistently. We could be saying, you know, Deli Ali and Marcus Rashford and, you know, maybe Jesse Lingard are three of the best, you know, attacking players. Uh, we could be saying, uh, I don't know. John Stones has turned into the world's best ball-playing Oriola <laughs> center back. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves now. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. So I you mean, you, mean, you mean to say that Felipe Jonesinho is going to be up there as well? Jones? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, like I, I, I would agree with you. There is something different about this team. And yeah. It'd be cool to see them win, but I think you and I both agree that there's not much, uh, not much reason for optimism, at least from our perspective. Yeah, for Given sure. what they have to go through to, to win. Yeah, but she's I mean, what about if, if Russia won though? I still think the lowest yeah. the lowest ranked team in the tournament winning, even if the, and the host would just be nuts. That'd be absolutely nuts. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Anything uh, own any any takes of yours? Parting takes that you uh, were just in. I think I've exhausted all my takes on on the mm-hmm. whole Demarcus Cousins. Finally, putting the nail in the coffin oh. of the NBA. Oh, oh there is one. There is one more. Well, there is one more. We need to say it's sad to see we're gonna see uh, Tiger Woods' last time playing at Bridgestone because the tournament's gonna leave. That's right. The Akron, right. Ohio tournament. Well, he has uh, to. He has to get into the field first. He has to get in the field, which is no means guarantee. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's just there's and he's losing the Quicken Loans tournament uh, as well because that's moving to back to Detroit thanks Dan Gilbert, but. Uh, Anyways, um, yeah, man. I think that Tiger Woods has dominated. I mean, you know, I know some golf history, but, you know, at least from what I know, I mean, Tiger Woods is – how many times has he won at Firestone Country Club? Like eight times? I mean, that's got to be – It's seven seven or eight. 
That's got to be up there with the most dominant golf, you know, to, to golfers with a course that there is. I don't yeah. know. I mean, you think of Sam Snead with uh, yeah. Greensboro as kind of the only other big one. How um, many times did he win that? Eight. Eight, okay. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So, like, Tiger with Bay Hill and Tiger with yeah, Stone and Tiger with uh tory and tiger Wade. yeah <laughs> this is tiger woods in a lot of places except these things these these will be there and uh the firestone will not have a tournament yeah so yeah you know it'll be interesting to, to watch that yeah but yeah. at any rate um i think we've exhausted our hot takes for the day for sure. we've got a lot of good stuff to look forward to especially with the world cup and you know baseball heating up and premier league is right around the corner uh, we don't care about the NBA anymore because of obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Willow. Um, oh, it's an exciting Wimbledon, time for Wimbledon. sure. And Wimbledon, I, I I didn't even know Wimbledon was going on at this point. To be yeah, perfectly crazy, honest with you. A lot of upsets. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, the World Cup's taken so much away from other sports. Um, for but, sure. You know, it's one every Dude, four how years. Crazy so is this? Well. How crazy is this, okay? Imagine this, okay? So imagine if England was in the World Cup final Dude, Wimbledon and the World Cup final, they're on the same day. And they'll actually, Wimbledon starts, I think, two hours ahead of the World Cup final. So they're very conceivably could be overlap, presumably, unless that uh, men's match wraps up really quickly in straight sets. I think it looks crazy that they overlap, and I can only imagine if England is in the final. Just just imagine if, um, if during Wimbledon, during the final match, they'll have to pause... The uh, they'll pause the match to watch the World Cup final. Oh my god! Play again. They're playing. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> or they just the crowd bursts and the players start complaining of the noise. <laughs> yeah, right. That that'd be so. Someone funny. someone starts singing "It's Coming Home" from like the top of the the rafters. Dude, did you know Steve Nash is the soccer analyst? Going to be for for uh, uh, Turner. That's crazy. Real for their Champions League coverage. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. I think he's I mean, he's a really smart guy. So. Yeah, but I that's think he'll do a great job. I mean, he he knows he knows football inside and out. So, well, yeah, but I mean, he knows basketball better. <laughs> right, but he he could have played either one, is what I'm saying. Yeah, right. That's true. True. So, crazy stuff. But in light of all that craziness, that'll do it for us here from your favorite show, Hot Takes Only, only here mm-hmm. on whatever this platform's called, Anchor FM. I think I don't know. It's a good. It's a great place yeah. for us to. Uh, for for us to distribute our content to you we hope you enjoy it again i'll put our twitter links in the description i'm on twitter i think more than willie is so if you have any grievances with anything we've said on the show feel free to tweet at me i love to get into conversations about this stuff if i offended you uh i'm sorry let's get through it if i <laughs> if i'm really honest i'm probably all not all that sorry if it's, yeah. it's sports related um but we're we're just here to have fun and dish out some hot takes and and hopefully you'll agree with them. Hopefully you'll be talking about them. But that's that's the point of the show to get you talking. Um, One word answer, Owen: Yes or no? Ronaldo to Juventus? Mm, no. No, for me too. No, I think it's garbage. Yep. Yep. Uh, who knows though? I mean, first it was reported by a Spanish TV show that's as unreliable as Marca, <laughs> but and then Marca started reporting it, but then Sky started reporting it. Not. I don't know if they're quoting Marca, but it's, anyways, there's this is a mess Crazy. waiting to happen, and yep. I I just don't think it'll get it's gonna happen. We'll see, man. I can never see him selling them. <laughs> anyways, yep. that'll do it for us here. Thank yep. you for listening. We'll see you next week when we probably preview the World Cup final, if you can believe it, uh, and just talk, get into some other stuff. 
as we always do here on Hot Takes Only. So for Willie, I'm Owen. Thank you for Take tuning care. in, and we'll see yeah. you next time. Nope.